and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined today by Damon Linker, who is a senior lecturer in political science at the University of Pennsylvania and also has a very influential substack, which you can find at damonlinker.substack.com to read what he's writing about there. And today we're going to be talking about Hunter Biden and asking how big a political problem is Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, for Joe Biden as we're approaching an election year. Now, Damon, you'll have seen the polls yesterday showing pretty bad news for Biden, I think. he's uh, It's a CNN poll showing that he's sort of level pegging with Trump in a, in a match off against Trump. Other Republican candidates do better. But the overall impression is of a Democratic Party that's unhappy with Biden. Up to 75% of people think that he's too old or is showing signs of being too old and are worried about his physical and mental state. While reading about that, I thought that was sort of, we've seen this quite a lot in the last couple of years, but I wondered to what extent the Hunter Biden story, which has been bubbling along throughout the Biden presidency and is often thought of as a sort of right-wing story, a conservative media story, I wondered whether you think the Hunter Biden story is starting to affect Joe Biden's popularity in America? I don't really think it has yet uh, outside of the Republicans who have been focusing on it. I mean, it, but that's so overdetermined. It's it's really hard to identify exactly what it is that, you know, the Republicans are inclined and predisposed to not like any Democratic president. They don't like Biden. They have lots of reasons why uh, Hunter Biden and its story is is a big part of it. The thing that I want to watch is whether the story about Hunter breaks out of the kind of right-wing media universe in which it's resided and begins to have an impact on the broader public, which I don't think it quite has yet, but I think it's close. Basically, there are two revelations that one would need to see in order for uh, it to become a big generalized story here. And one would be evidence that Joe Biden personally uh, received payments that, you know, Hunter was involved in these relationships with various overseas actors who are trying to get influence uh, over the former vice president and now President Joe Biden. And so far, I've, there's been no evidence that, you know, Joe Biden has a bank account where he personally is receiving payments for this. Um, that would obviously be a massive story. The other one would be if it could be demonstrated that the, there was some quid pro quo where someone asked Hunter to get his father to do something, there was evidence that he did, in fact, ask his father to do that thing, and then that thing happened, and you could actually trace a, a line of causality. But the thing that worries me is even if neither of those things ever happen, there is a general air of kind of corruption around the story of Hunter Biden. And I worry about a general election campaign 
in which the Republican who appears like it's going to be Trump, he's very far ahead in the primaries. I worry about you would think that with Trump, you know, facing 91 counts and four jurisdictions in the United States for various crimes, that that would weigh him down enormously. But the waters get muddied the extent to which Trump can make the case that, you know, they're coming to get me. And the reason they're coming to get me is that they're corrupt and I've called them out for their corruption. And that's why this is all a revenge against me. And the evidence that I'm right about that is that Joe Biden is corrupt, too, just as Hillary Clinton was corrupt. And we know this because of the Hunter Biden story, wherever it is at that moment. That could easily be enough to kind of level the playing field in, in as we say, in the United States, uh, one of our favorite metaphors. Um, <laughs> it will equalize the two candidates in a way that it, I think would be as someone who does not want to see Donald Trump win the presidency again, I, it pains me to envision uh, a situation where any attempt that Biden makes to try to impugn Trump's character for all of his legal troubles uh, and then gets blunted by Trump being able to say, yeah, but what about Hunter Biden and, and the money and the access and you trying to sort of downplay it and then continually it being showing that actually there is kind of something there? Uh, aren't you just like me? That won't convince everyone, but it could in a country as narrowly divided as ours, it could it could convince enough to make a difference. Well, I'd have thought particularly because the reason for voting for Joe Biden in twenty twenty was not because he was Joe Biden, but because he, it was because he wasn't Donald Trump. If it's Trump Biden in twenty twenty four, which it looks right. like it probably will be, that still stands to a certain extent. Trump repels more than he attracts, but you still have this problem, or Democrats will still have this problem, of uh, Biden was seen as a sort of silent generation good guy, someone who'd been in Washington for a long time, had, you know, everybody knows his life story, lots of tragedy in the family. He was seen as a good guy and everybody in Washington liked him. But the problem with the Hunter Biden story is that it's sleazy and I don't think, from what I can see, as an outsider, as a, as a Brit looking at this, I don't think Joe Biden does escape from it. I think, you know, Devin Archer has said he was on the calls. Um, he certainly met with a lot of people who were giving his son money. I don't think Joe Biden can really distance himself from what his son was doing. And that is a big political problem for him, I think. Yeah, I, I worry that it will be as well. Again, I don't think quite yet it's broken out and become a problem. So when we look at Biden's uh, soft approval numbers hovering around 41 percent, he's been roughly there, give or take two or three points for almost two years now, mm. quite a bit down from where he started. I think that the age factor is important. The inflation that we've had uh, in the U.S. is probably even uh, as at least as big of a factor. Uh, it's true that inflation has been coming down, but of course, inflation lowering doesn't mean prices are down. It just means their rate of increase has slowed down. And wages have begun to tick up, but they haven't come near 
uh, they haven't risen anywhere near enough to compensate for the fact that everything is more expensive. So that that has a lot of Americans grumpy. And of course, the president always suffers from that kind of uh, economic pain. It's a different kind of pain than we've seen here in, in decades. It's a usually key to unemployment. Unemployment is very low, but uh, you know, people aren't thrilled uh, that there are tons of jobs when what that means is, oh, great, I, I, I'm able to find a second job so I can pay the bills. Yes. Um, so I think that those concerns are probably what's weighing him down mostly now. But again, my fear, if it's true, as you say, the polls, a recent one a few days ago, showing 46 to 46 between uh, an imagined Trump Biden matchup if the election were held now. That already probably means Trump would win because of our kind of cockamamie electoral college uh, and lately has been giving Republicans an edge. So a tie in the general election outcome means a, a Trump victory. But, you know, what if Biden goes down another couple of points because of the Hunter Biden scandal, then really kind of entering the mix of the news cycle in a way that it hasn't yet in the mainstream media? And then I also worry, and this is how like these negative uh, forces end up kind of multiplying against each other. How does the uh, sort of very elderly, somewhat cognitively enfeebled Joe Biden, with that very difficult history of family and loss, people, you know, his his uh, son Bo dying of cancer, and uh, Hunter being his one surviving child, how does he handle it when? reporters come after him with really tough Hunter Biden questions that he doesn't want to answer, and it, it gets him very agitated and upset. Does he respond in a way that leads people to have sympathy for him, or does he respond in a way that makes him sound even more enfeebled, even more like someone you wouldn't want to trust being president because he can't even form a coherent sentence in defense of his son in light of what are our really quite reasonable questions about what exactly was going on here. Can he answer those questions accurately? Is his memory enough intact that he recalls exactly how a meeting in 2015 or 16 uh, in which he walked into a room and Hunter was in there and he was on speakerphone with someone and Joe wants to kind of make his son look good. So he comes in and says, hey, man, how you doing? And then Hunter says, hey, this is my father. He's here. And then Joe says, hey, how are you? Hunter's great. I hope you guys have a great relationship here. And he leaves the room and nothing really illegal or even untoward happens other than Biden trying to prop up his son and make him look good. Yes. Can Joe Biden actually coherently explain that and explain why it isn't a big deal without losing his cool, without becoming incoherent in just sort of like railing in defensiveness? Like I, all of this concerns me and I, I really don't know the answer, but I suspect we're going to find out. Well, uh, Jamie, I'm going to sound cynical here, so please forgive me. But I do think, having looked at the Biden family a fair bit, there is a, a sort of public sentimentality about the Biden story. And of course, it does touch into their very real tragedy. And no one wants to suggest uh, that that is anything other than sad. 
and so on. But if you look at the way in which they've handled questions about Hunter Biden's business dealings in the past, they point to the fact that Joe Biden loves his son. And everybody is certain that that's true. Most fathers do love their sons and that he's, you know, sticking by him. And certainly the text messages that have been revealed show that he has been a very supportive father to a son that is very, was very messed up and complex. I do wonder whether that has sometimes been used to obscure the more sordid reality of what happened. Do you think that's the case? Uh, it might be. I mean, it's probably some of that. And then that mixes with the broader tendency of uh, the mainstream media in our country to sort of give a little bit more benefit of the doubt to Democrats. Um, and, and especially when you have uh, Jared Kushner around and he makes a huge deal with the Saudi government immediately after Trump steps down and it involves like $2 billion and huge things. It appears that like anything having to do with Hunter Biden must be trivial compared to that. And I do think that's true. If you're going to make a one-to-one comparison, there is a kind of disproportion between the Trump situation uh, and then the Biden one. But as I said earlier, my main concern is the ability of a scandal like this one breaking in the news during the campaign that most Americans haven't really been paying attention to. And suddenly the mainstream media wakes up and realizes, oh, yeah, this actually the sentimentality that plays into this, a general, you know, more presumption of deference for the Democrat can no longer work. We can't ignore this anymore. And suddenly in the campaign, there's this story that most Americans haven't been following and they got to play catch up now that they're paying attention to politics after tuning it out for, you know, most of the last three years. And suddenly they're like, wait a minute, what happened? So like, the Hunter Biden thing isn't some vague thing I heard about three years ago with a laptop or something and like sex videos or something connected to Hunter Biden and smoking and crack. Like they vaguely have sense about that stuff, but then they realize, oh, wait a minute. So this was Hunter Biden getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from foreign sources from the people who thought what they were paying him so that they could ask for favors from uh, the former vice president, Joe Biden, and that this was like an ongoing kind of con that Hunter Biden was running that, you know, either was a con and Joe was completely oblivious about it or could it have been that Joe actually knew what was happening and and kind of winked about it because he was just happy his son was making money and and uh, what's the big deal? I Joe Biden, you know, I believe in my own rectitude and I know I'm not actually going to do any quid pro quo for Hunter, but it's okay if the people on the other end of the phone think I'll do a quid pro quo. <laughs> that is enough to I think again these are Americans who haven't been paying attention to this. And it, if it breaks into the mainstream media, a lot of people are going to be playing catch up. And I don't think it looks good. Again, even if you can maintain your equilibrium and uh, judgment and, and still conclude, yeah, Trump is still worse. You know, there are two ways that Trump can benefit from this. One is that 
people are so disgusted at what they learn about Joe and Hunter Biden and their corruption. And so they flip to Trump. That I don't think is that likely. But how about eh, both these guys? No good. I'm staying home. And if more Joe Biden voters choose not to vote in in 2024, then Trump wins that way, too. Uh, and actually, there were other polls or at least polling analysis uh, from Nate Cohn and the New York Times, and I think another fresh poll this week from CNN that seemed to show that Biden already has problems with non-white voters. Again, not flipping to Trump in most cases or the Republicans, but just kind of showing no inclination to actually show up and vote for Joe Biden the next time. They're sort of demoralized and not enthusiastic. And that, again, is in a democracy, it, 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 it's not just that you, you win by getting more votes, but you can win by the other guy getting fewer. And that's perhaps the more realistic scenario uh, for the Republicans coming up. Well, let's look at the Republicans and, and look at it from their perspective, because there's been quite a lot of discussion in Republican circles about trying to impeach Joe Biden over the Biden family's business dealings. Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, has suggested that that is something they're willing to do. Lots of other Republicans have suggested that they should. But I think the argument against it among Republicans is they'll be putting themselves in the position that Democrats have with Trump to a certain extent and his base. They'll be making Biden, for being a loving father and looking after an errant son, they'll be making him a, a legal martyr what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I have somewhat conflicted motives here because uh, I am a, a Democrat and want Democrats to win. And so I, I, you know, I think it would be foolish politically for the Republicans to impeach Joe Biden over this at this point. Again, I said earlier, if there was firm, solid evidence of a quid pro quo, that would be one thing. It would be another thing if they had clear, solid money trail, like money transfers going into Joe Biden's bank account somewhere from these foreign sources in return for a presumed quid pro quo. If they had either of those, then I, I guess one could imagine it actually sticking a little bit. Not that he'll ever be removed from office, because I think we've learned by now that our system doesn't work in this respect as well as others. And that, you know, unless you had uh, a supermajority in the Senate for uh, a conviction vote, you're not going to get it. So it, what it ends up being is a kind of show trial. And uh, I think the record shows that in general, it, it doesn't really benefit those. It certainly didn't benefit the Democrats when they impeached Trump the first time over the Ukraine business. And then, of course, they didn't succeed in it. It didn't work with Bill Clinton when he was impeached. It ended up rallying Democrats around him. And I suspect that lacking those two kind of silver bullet bits of evidence, that this wouldn't work either. Uh, but again, you know, myself, maybe I should in a kind of jujitsu way, I, I should 
as an analyst, say, oh, yeah, they should definitely impeach him because I think it would actually help Biden a little bit. What would hurt Biden in all of this is if the story breaks out of the kind of right wing media ghetto, as you were, and became a mainstream news story in the way that, for instance, the Hillary Clinton FBI investigation was in 2016. You know, the fact that her campaign for much of the cycle was dogged by the fact that she was under investigation by the FBI for her use of a private email server in her home when she was Secretary of State under President Obama. And then the fact that, of you know, even though she was sort of exonerated by FBI Director Jim Comey, uh, a few months before the election, it then was the investigation was reopened just a few weeks before the election because of duplicate emails found on another computer and then closed yet again. So like that fact that that was kind of percolating in the background throughout the general election, I think definitely contributed to uh, Clinton's loss that time. And and what you would not want, obviously, there's not probably going to be an FBI investigation of this in the same way of Joe Biden personally. But if it becomes, if the fact that Hunter continues to be under investigation uh, by the Justice Department is then combined with mainstream media stories kind of explaining all of this and sort of you know legitimizing a lot of the things that Republicans have been saying about this for a long time, that's what does the damage. And so I guess back to your question about impeachment, uh, I sort of see that as foolish in kind of political strategic terms for, for the Republicans. I think that would, in our deeply divided kind of very polarized political system, very much dominated by negative partisanship where each side hates the other side more than they like their own side, having Republicans in a kind of unipartisan way, bring an impeachment uh, against Joe Biden for all this without the silver bullet evidence that I mentioned, uh, ends up only rallying their own side and doesn't really persuade anybody else. So for their sake, I hope they don't do it. For my own sake, I hope they do. What I found quite interesting is that the Washington Post and the New York Times did ignore, to a large extent, the laptop story, or the the only way in which they reported it, and perhaps I'm sounding like a conservative media person here, but I think this is fair to say, the extent to which they reported it was to say that it was disinformation or some sort of attempt to influence the election at the time. And then uh, quite a long time later, some quite substantial reporting was done by the New York Times and the Washington Post about the Hunter Biden story. And what I found curious about that was the reaction to it was very much... This is now possibly a problem for Biden because those parts of the media are now curious. And this is sort of touches into what you're saying. It's that if the democratic or pro-democratic media, if you like, I think we can say that fairly, if they uh, start to pay attention to this story, that suggests they're giving up on Biden. And I wonder then, you know, the, the natural thought is, are people in democratic circles starting to think maybe with the age factor as well, maybe the Hunter Biden story is a reason to get Joe Biden out the picture. Or are we too late for that? Are we heading towards a Trump-Biden 2024 election? Yeah, I don't... I mean, 
I wrote a, a post at my Substack this week uh, making the case for why Joe Biden ideally would step down right now so that there could be a kind of quickly thrown together primary contest for others to be the nominee. I, I mean, I have no uh, no illusions about how realistic that is. It's almost certainly not going to happen, although I made the case that people like Barack Obama and Chuck Schumer, who's the majority leader in the Senate, should make personal, private pleas to him that it would be better for the country, better for the party if he stepped down because he's looking weak heading into the election. I doubt that's going to happen because I think Joe Biden is a stubborn guy. He's waited his entire life. He's kind of the the Prince Charles of, uh, of the American uh, Democratic Party in the sense that he's waited his entire life till he was an old man to do this thing. And he is now president and he's not going to give it up. But I do feel like in the end, the, the media and I, I do, I have some sympathy for them. I know they get a lot of bad press from the right for the fact of, you know, how the laptop story was handled uh, in the weeks running up to the 2020 election. But I have empathy for them because a lot of people in the media feel like they got played a little bit by the way the Hillary Clinton investigation got reopened just before the election. And it was portrayed in the media as something like very serious to consider, even though there was really nothing new when they reopened it. The emails that were found on this other laptop were duplicates of ones that had already been looked at in the original investigation that they chose not to go forward with months earlier. But, you know, there's a very famous uh, front page of the New York Times from about 10 days before the election where the headline is saying, like, Clinton campaign rocked by reopening of email investigation. And there's a real sense among a lot of kind of mainstream media reporters and editors that that was probably a mistake to kind of treat that with that much gravity and seriousness. And they fear that that contributed in a, re a very real way to Trump winning in 2016. Uh, and there was a real hesitancy in 2020 to let that kind of thing happen again. There was a sense that, you know, there's this laptop and it came to like somehow Rudy Giuliani is involved in getting the laptop to reporters. And it first went to the Wall Street Journal and they wouldn't touch it. And then it went to the New York Post and the story about the laptop got published not in the news pages, but in the op-ed pages because there wasn't sufficient time to run down the story. It's the kind of story that to really be nailed down in a, in a kind of serious journalistic way probably would have taken weeks of shoe leather and, and effort to try to verify what was being alleged here. Was it really Hunter Biden's laptop? Was the stuff they were seeing placed there and so forth? And so there was a, just a real reluctance that was kind of uniform across both mainstream media outlets and social media companies like Facebook, Meta, Twitter at the time, that like, we're not going to promote this story. We're going to, in effect, block it 
because we can't verify its truth. And if it is disinformation and faked in some way, we can't demonstrate it yes or no right now. And it could in and of itself affect the outcome of the election in a way that would mirror what happened in 2016. So would that mean, as you asked, like if, if say the media starts to look at the story of Hunter Biden more closely now, does that mean the media has kind of lost faith in Biden? I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of hand wringing going on within editorial offices at the big papers and, and cable news networks right now about how to handle this. In the end, I like to think that journalists you know, it's one thing if, if a, a kind of crazy sensational story like the laptop story drops within two or three weeks of the election. And it's true that there really isn't time to run down all the facts and verify things. It's quite another if this story has been percolating now for years and we're still 15 months away or 14 months away from the election is there any excuse to just say we're not going to cover this at all because we don't want to help Trump win 14 months from now? At that point, it becomes a situation where I think journalists or at least some journalists will conclude, you know what? I'm an American. I'm a patriot. I think Trump's a threat. I incline to be a Democrat. I personally know I'll vote for Biden if he's the nominee, but I'm not as a journalist going to simply turn a blind eye to this. I'm a journalist. I want to know the truth and the American people should know the truth. Yeah. So the sort of last point I'll, I'll say on this is that I think it's a terrible shame that a lot of Trump's legal problems are happening now rather than a year ago. It's a real shame, I think, that the Biden Justice Department essentially didn't pursue this for the first year of the Biden administration. And then finally, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, changed his mind. All of that made all of this unfold very late. In other words, we're going to be having trials happening continuously with the primaries and then the general election, which is atrocious timing. It would have been much better if he had been found potentially, Trump found guilty a year ago, and maybe maybe the dynamic would have been different. Similarly, it would have been better if the Hunter Biden journalistic investigation had been happening 18 months ago, like so just after the election, start digging into it then in mainstream media outlets and try to get to the bottom of it so that there would be enough time either for the public to digest the information and decide uh, how important it is. And then potentially Biden decides not to run for that reason because it's hurt him badly or it doesn't hurt him that badly. And we've already processed and digested it and we can move on and have the election be about something else. So in both cases, we're sort of, I think, in a bad way over here because of the fact that <laughs> Each side's investigation of the other dithered a little too much. But, you know, then the cynic in me says, oh, maybe they maybe they dithered for the deliberately in order to try to have it have maximal electoral impact. Who knows? Well, I think a lot of Trump people think it's that last point, isn't it, that uh, that it, it is a conspiracy. I tend to be, uh, my default is to be skeptical of all claims. So I, I tend to discount the possibility. 
I sort of have a hard time imagining Merrick Garland sitting there in the Justice Department, again, the Attorney General, uh, looking at what happened on January 6th and in the two months leading up to it with Trump and saying, you know what, we got to prosecute all of this, but let's just slow walk it for a year so that it's well-timed with the election in 2024. That, that, That doesn't sound very plausible to me. I think it's much more likely that he, I think, actually rightly saw that it was probably not a good idea for a Democratic administration's Justice Department to bring charges against the former president of the other party who's planning to run again. He probably said, you know what, you know, my view too is that like the real way to handle this was the second impeachment trial that happened uh, after Trump had, had actually left office and to convict him uh, with both parties voting to do that and then putting a stretcher on him to never be able to run for office again. But short of that, it's not a good idea to try to handle it uh, in the legal sphere. And so I think it's much more likely that for about a year, Merrick Garland just was like, this is a bad idea. We're not going to do this. And then, you know, certain partisan Democrats kind of prevailed on him eventually that he really needed to do it, whereas I don't think he needed to do it. I think it was a decision and probably a mistake. So that's probably why that happened. And then the Hunter Biden thing, again, that that has had much more of a dynamic of a kind of initial skepticism about it, again, going back to the laptop story, a generalized and I think well-founded skepticism among mainstream media journalists that like the right-wing media in this country is so tabloidy, so sensationalistic, so uh, guilty of sort of flattering the prejudices of its viewers and listeners uh, and engaging in hyperbole and distortions and stuff to kind of get clicks and ratings that you can't really trust anything that they're yammering on about. So there is a kind of dismissiveness of the story and then a kind of drip, drip, drip of it as the various Republican investigations in Congress have proceeded and there have been a whistleblower at the IRS about money and and then Hunter Biden's business partner comes forward and he testifies and says things that sound pretty bad. And so it's it, like in on that I think it's much more the case that we were dealing with a generalized journalistic and partially well-founded skepticism about a story that originated on the right that is slowly giving way to the reality that there's, you know, a fair amount of truth to aspects of that story, even if it's still not clear exactly how bad it was or is likely to get as a story. Yes, I often think that, you know, the sort of is it cock-up or conspiracy and sensible people tend to realise that most things are cock-up. But I think with this story in many ways, uh, if it is a conspiracy, it's a cock-up because it's backfired uh, (laughs) to a large extent. Um, But, David Linker, thank you very much for coming on to Americano. It's been a privilege to talk to you and um, very good to hear a, a Democrat's perspective and somebody who's honest and open-minded about it all. So thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hope to be back on sometime. We'd love to have you back.
Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Farose, and the rest of the Spectators broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.